James 1, beginning in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. As we again consider these mysterious words of our Lord regarding faith, and also consider the responses that we go through as trials and sufferings suddenly and sometimes violently beset us. I'd like for us to begin today first by carefully admonishing us to follow the Lord's commands and also His caution here within these words that we just read. First, the command in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, remember, we're talking about faith, and we're talking about doubting. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is a command from God, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then the caution that follows. Verse 6, But let him ask in faith, With no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, as we said in the message last week, it is ever so important for us to understand and to accept that our Lord is first and always providential in his handlings of all of the matters that take place on the earth each day. And no, His providence is not just over those big matters that take place, as so many people seem to want to think. But God's providence reaches even to the smallest and seemingly most insignificant of matters within our personal lives. He is intimately involved and has His hand continually on each one of us. I read these words last week, but listen to them carefully. I want to read them again from Psalm 139. Ask the question, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me, will hold me fast. So then, in all of the trials that come to us that he's speaking of here, and especially the trials of our faith, God's hand, he tells us, is ever and always holding us, guiding us and directing us right on through those trials. Now, so that we all have this same understanding and perspective regarding this word providence, I'd like to take a moment and give a brief definition of it. We use that word a lot. Sometimes we don't know what it means exactly. This is what 
the more credible commentators have said about divine providence. Divine providence, we're told, is the personal intervention into the matters and circumstances that take place in our world. That God did not just create the world and then stand back and let it run on its own. That each and every moment of the day He has His hand involved in all the matters and events that take place. Now, the Bible scholars will commonly separate God's handling of providence into two involvements. His general providence and His special providence. With His general providence, God continually upholds the existence and the natural order of the earth and the universe. From the daily watering of the trees, of the fields, to making the grass grow, to keeping the earth firmly in its position in the universe. Let me say that clearly. He did not just create this earth and put it there and it spins on its own. He holds it in place. Scripture is very clear. He holds it in its place every day and every moment of the day. Now secondly is His special providence. And that's where He gets intimate with you and me. There God interposes His will and His hand into the most detailed of circumstances that take place in our personal lives. Interceding in every heart and mind on the earth. Whenever I think of that, I think of us believers, yes. But it's not just of us believers. Have you ever wondered why the hand wrote these words on the wall back in the Old Testament? This was God speaking to the king who was a pagan saying, in effect, today your life is going to be required of you. God is involved in every life, whether it be your life or that ISIS terrorist with his knife in his hand right at this moment. He's involved personally in every life. They're just making wrong choices. Now, as to the extent of God's inserting of His hand and involvement of His hand within those intimate details of our daily lives, that's strongly debated. Some believing that He truly is intimately involved in every detail, while others prefer to believe that a person's life is far more directed and controlled by their own personal free will. And free will is a big factor in every life, your life and my life. But for the purposes of our study in these words here today, I prefer the first understanding, and that is that God really is very involved, very involved in our circumstances. And He readily invites you and me to join Him in submission to His guiding and directing of all those matters and events that take place in each of our lives. Now one more thing regarding God's intimate presence and His involvement in our daily lives. Mine personally. If I had only my free will to depend upon, to comfort me, to give me directions, to guide me during my times of suffering and testing, I would surely live a defeated life. I find that my free will is far more detrimental in my handling of matters than it is helpful. And it's because I know that God is intimately present 
within my struggles, I can then take the next steps with far more confidence than I would have otherwise. If I know that He's walking with me, I can be far more confident as I take my steps into the trials that are obviously there before me. And I'm always looking for and seeing His hand at every turn in the events of my daily life. I started praying for that about perhaps 10 years ago. I started asking the Lord, Lord, let me see Your hand a little bit closer than I have been. I used to look back five years and see how He had guided and directed matters of my life. I wanted to have a much closer look at His providential hand. And He's been doing that. I would recommend that prayer to you. I can see God's hand within moments after something takes place. And that's so comforting and joyful to me. And that kind of seeing of God's hand is especially needful when I encounter the circumstances that God's speaking about here, especially in this matter of doubt. Because for me, there are few other emotions in my arsenal of responses that can be as difficult as and as controlling as doubt. It is so powerful in my life, and I would suggest that it is powerful in your life. It's so powerful in my own life. And then, again, to make matters worse, I find that when I start to doubt, all sorts of other emotions come into play. None of them good. Mysteriously, mysteriously, whenever faith rises to the forefront in a matter, doubt seems almost always to also rear its ugly head. Faith rising to the forefront, doubt comes right along with it. Now we don't want it to. We really don't want it to. But it does. And in some complicated way, doubt seems to almost be connected to faith. A kind of symbiotic relationship with faith. Completely different, yes. And in direct opposition to our faith. But it is still ever-present with faith. And strangely, doubt seems to, in some ways, have a painfully helpful involvement with our faith. And what I mean by that is, just as the continual strong battering of winds on a tall tree can prove helpful to drive the roots of that tree deeper into the earth, making that tree stronger and more steadfast, so also can it be said about doubt. If we respond rightly to doubt, listen, if we respond rightly to doubt, then the roots of our faith will be driven deeper within our souls. It's a strange relationship that faith and doubt have together. Now, does that possible beneficial element of doubt put God's stamp of approval on doubt? Not at all. Not at all. As we can see from these words of our text, you and I are to battle with doubt and never let it overcome our faith. The simple truth is that God is able to use anything that takes place within our lives to bless us. As we so often quote there from Romans 8, 
we know that all things work together. He will work all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so it can be if we respond rightly to doubt. Now hopefully in this study, we'll gain some insight into how we are to deal with the effects of sin and doubt. And as we do that today, I want us to rehearse again some of the things that we know are true from these Scriptures. First, we need always to remember that God is a very tender, kind, and loving Father to each of us. Far more loving than we can imagine. And as He lovingly guides and directs our path, He's not only concerned for today and for the immediate problem that we have in front of us, He also foresees matters and needs for tomorrow on out there in the future. And above all else, He sees our need for training in ways of righteousness. And being a loving Father, He will devise ways to bring about events and circumstances that will be beneficial to our faith, to our trust, and to our handling of the matters that come to us each day. And then again, as we take into consideration that God truly is providential, as we said a moment ago, in all of His governance and in all of His guidance of all the matters that are swirling about us, you and I really should have complete confidence when some of these worst of circumstances beset us. And quite often, as I've pondered my own circumstances, quite often we really do enter into a trial with confidence. But then suddenly, we're not confident. And it's in those times that it seems that everything that we had learned back there and practiced in those simpler and more peaceful days, all those books that we read and all of those promises that we made to ourselves during those more peaceful days, suddenly all of that begins to evaporate from our memories and and that's when doubt seeps in and starts to take control. And we start wondering, what are we supposed to do? Now I want to pause again here for a moment and clarify some of the simpler understandings regarding doubt. First, is doubt, as it relates to God and our faith, an actual sin? We accept doubt as being a part of What's taking place? Should we be doing that? Is it a sin for us to doubt, especially as it relates to God and our faith? May I say that it sure seems clear from these words of our text that it rises to that level, that it truly is a sin. Doubt seems in most every way to be the antithesis of faith, of belief. And because of that, it becomes doubt becomes a rejection of, of our trust in God. Another question, where does doubt come from? Where do our doubts come from? Are they emotions that arise from within our own minds? Or do doubts come to us from outside, perhaps from the spirit realm, that place where the spiritual forces of darkness and evil reside? Is that where doubts come from? As I studied through this, it became clear that It is both. And I started back with the first sin, with Adam and Eve there in the garden. Now we don't know whether Adam and Eve 
had been doubting God and thinking about sin for a long time before the devil showed up to tempt them, or if the devil really first introduced those thoughts into their minds. But clearly, both Adam and Eve and Satan, they were all involved together. And all of them were wrong. Now later on in this chapter, we'll study more about how sin begins to rise up in the minds of men. But for now, may we just simply say for this study today that sin arises out of the depths of each person's own heart and mind. It's as simple as that. And sin will figure out a way for us to doubt. And that was especially what took place with Adam and Eve. They doubted God and they doubted His provision for them. And they wanted more. So they chose another provision, their own. And yes, Satan did tempt Adam and Eve. But the sin itself, listen, the sin itself was Adam and Eve's own accountability because it came out of their own hearts. It came from within their own souls. Now as for temptation, yes, that will come to us from the demonic world all of the time. That's what demons do. They tempt. And we should not expect anything else. So we can always assume that they will bring that, in this case, doubt to us and cause us to doubt God's provision. Now, yes, God Himself, again, in His providence, is also intimately involved in every trial and every temptation and sin. Sometimes bringing about those trials as He did with Job to help train up our faith. But God never, never causes us to be tempted. He does not tempt us and neither does He sin. As we're told here in our text, God gets involved with us, especially when we humble ourselves and we cry out to Him for wisdom. Saying, Lord, please help me. Help me. I don't know what to do in this situation. And it's no mere circumstance that God has presented these two words in our text the way He has with wisdom and doubt being in direct contrast with each other. And doubt being presented as the outcome if we do not ask for and do not follow God's wisdom. Listen to these words. Verse 5 again. If any of you lacks wisdom in your trials, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's a promise. A command and a promise. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now here God is saying that whenever we are caught up in difficult trials, if we will only turn to Him and ask for His wisdom, and let me emphasize, we must ask. We must ask. If we will only turn to Him and ask, He will give us the exact answer, the exact guidance, the exact direction that we need. And His requirement is that we must ask in faith and not doubt. Now when I emphasize that God will give us the exact answer, the exact guidance, and the exact direction, 
if you think back on your most recent trial, it didn't seem that God was really exact with you, I would think, because it does not seem so. I'd like to take a moment and tell you about a book that I've been reading, and it involved this mission organization back in the early part of the 1900s. They found that they would pray long and hard, and there was few answers. And they came to the conclusion that they did not first determine what they needed to be praying for. That's what takes place in this that we're talking about here today. You and I have to stop long enough to really do business in thought and prayer about what our problem is. What, what is this trial? What do I really need before I start to ask you for your provision, Lord? That's part of this. Lord, I need your wisdom. What do I even need to be praying for in this circumstance? Am I praying for what I want to take place? What I hope will take place? Many times those are proper. But you and I need to do more intimate conversation with the Lord. And He'll start to do this for us. He will start to give us exact answers within His wisdom. Now, the warning part of this is this. Because there's, there's this clear in, implication in, in this response of doubt that when we are doubting the provision, we are actually doubting God Himself. We're doubting that He will provide exactly what we want. That was appeared to be what Adam and Eve experienced. Sadly, as these words imply, we sometimes will doubt that God will give us His wisdom And we don't even know that we're doubting. We say, God, I know that you can help me in this situation. But I just don't know if you will help me. Because I may not know your will. And I may be asking for the wrong thing. So I don't know if you're going to help in this circumstance. So I'll just tack on the end of my prayer if it be your will. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you added that to the end of your prayer? I have thousands of times. Now, yes, if it be your will, is often a right thing to say to God. But may I say to you, too often, such words are simply a part of our doubt. It's just part of our doubt. And we want to give God a back door just in case He decides not to meet our needs. But here, in these words, God is saying to us very pointedly, I don't like it when you doubt. And if you do doubt, and you tack on words at the end of a prayer, you probably are not going to receive what you're asking for. During the heat of a trial, when doubts are flying high, and we're calling out for wisdom, we do have to understand that that really is His wisdom really is our only real help and remedy. Because you and I, with our free will thinking, really don't have what it takes to think our way through a trial. So you and I have to understand that the only way, really, that we can begin to find real help and remedy is through asking for His wisdom. Now I want to add one more thing here. This is so very important. You and I need to understand that 
in this word wisdom, when we pray for wisdom, when we ask for wisdom, that God is not just speaking about giving us words of wisdom, some mystical words that we'll be able to follow. He does that, yes. He does that. But throughout these scriptures, wisdom is clearly portrayed in the image of a person. Wisdom is a person. It is the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we pray for wisdom, God's wisdom comes to us in the form of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit brings the wisdom and the answers that we need. All wrapped together, His presence and the guidance and the remedy. All wrapped together. So then, we need to understand, our battles with doubt are not just a matter of us being able to conjure up confidence or some other good feeling to quell our doubts. Putting sticky notes all over your refrigerator is a good thing, but it, if all you're doing is looking for an uplift in your attitude, that's not what he's talking about here. It doesn't matter how good you feel or how good those little reminders make you feel. He's saying, no, the real answer is to reach for wisdom. Reach for the Holy Spirit who will come in and make things really right for you. Now, with all this being said, and we'll close, I believe it would be safe for us to assume that each one of us here, each one of us is probably right at this moment dealing with one trial or or several And may I ask you pointedly, what are you doing with those trials? What are you doing with the the biggest trial that is besetting you right now? What are you doing with that trial? Are you just trying to think your way through it? Or are you just perhaps covering over your head and hoping to weather your way through the trial and hoping it'll just go away? I ask that because that's what we do. We do that too often. And I want to strongly exhort us to choose the Lord's answer. And that is to get alone with God and address that trial and say, Lord, I know that you already know what I'm going through right at this moment. But I want to talk with you about it because I need to verbalize it in order to understand what I'm to do next and how to look for your answers when they come. And so I want to talk with you about them and I want to ask your wisdom on how I'm to deal with this particular matter or every little part of that particular matter. And so as you talk with the Lord about that and ask Him for His wisdom, bring back to remembrance these words that we've been reading here today, these promises where He says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, who will give to you liberally, without reproach, He'll give it to you. He'll give you the answer you need. But if you ask Him, ask in faith, without doubting. If you doubt, you'll be like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, and you cannot expect to receive anything from the Lord. Are you in a trial? Do you need His answers? Then ask for His wisdom. And he'll give it to you. Let's pray.